When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Swing and a drive, right field and deep. Back goes Aquino, it's got a chance, gone. Get out the tape measure, long gone. Fly the W! Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley-Jean. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast, season number two, episode 84. We're breaking down the Cubs bullpen. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on the socials, Fly the W670 on Twitter, Instagram, and Fly the W on Facebook, or email us at flythew670gmail.com. Crowley, happy Thursday and happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to one of the greatest days in all our lives. November 2nd uh, is when we're recording this. The, what do we have? Seven years now. God, time just flies, Dustin. But is it, a, it, it feels longer. It, it feels like a decade ago to me, not just seven years ago. How about you? Does yeah, it feel like seven? It, it feels longer. To me, it, it feels both. It feels like yesterday. And then it also feels like so long ago. Like when I look at the pictures and I look at all that stuff and I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, I look like a baby on some of these. So, you know, is is that where you were when it all happened or that's you watching the game with friends? What, what was that exactly? Um, for me, no, I, I, I was a wreck. I was a train wreck. I, I was, I refused to go to Cleveland. I didn't want to think I would jinx them. Uh, so I wanted to stay in my spot and my couch. And then like, once we got to like the fifth inning I was pacing pretty much back and forth in front of the TV but I was I was no fun to be around I was no anything like it wasn't the jovial hey Crawley's at the game no it was leave me alone nobody say anything I was I was did you watch it by yourself were you were you by yourself uh my family was my mom or not my mom uh my wife was there my kids were there but um no I was really I just did not want to have any kind of anything it it, I've I've Dustin, I was there in 2003 uh, in, in Wrigley. I saw the Diamondbacks celebrate on our field in uh, 2007. I saw the Mets celebrate on our field in 2015. It's the, I, I told you, sometimes it's, it, it's just the worst feeling. I just, all I wanted more than anything was to see a World Series in my lifetime. And, and how, you can't get any closer than a game seven. So I was, absolutely in a panic and, and in no mood to be around anybody. I was, I didn't want to be in a bar. I didn't want to be on the streets of Wrigleyville. I just wanted to be left alone. All right. And then did you go to the parade? Probably the dumbest question I've ever asked you, but did you go to the parade? The, the answer is yes. And uh, we'll definitely talk about that. And the next podcast, when we talk about the okay. anniversary of the parade, always a lot of good anniversaries around this time. <laughs> well, luckily we have an anniversary. All right. So Crowley, let's get into it. We've been talking about, uh, the different positions for the Cubs. And today on the 84th episode of season number two, we're talking relief pitching and the bullpen. Yeah. When we look at the bullpen, um, 
when compared to the other 30 teams in MLB, the Cubs rank 16th in war, which is pretty similar to where they were in 2022 when they finished 17th out of 30 teams. 24 different pitchers, and I'm making that quote sign because some of the guys were position <laughs> players, uh, came out of the bullpen in 2023, but that included Stroh for a couple of games, like Miles Mastrobwani, uh, Tucker Barnhart pitched a bunch of games, and a couple of guys that were called up the last weekend of the season. But Dustin, I really want to focus on the everyday bullpen guys, the guys that were there and had real roles. Um, Julian Merriweather uh, came out and Mark Leiter were in the most games, 69, followed by Alzali, 58, Fulmer, 35, Daniel Palencia, 27, Jose Quaz, 26 games in his short time, Hayden Wesniski, 23 games, Brad Boxberger, 22, Javier Assad, 22 games, Keegan Thompson, 19 games, Drew Smiley, 18 games, Brandon Hughes, 17, um, Anthony K, 13 games, but he was a bust, Jeremiah Estrada, 12, Luke Little, seven games, and Nick Birdie was in three games. Um, the Cubs have had a lot of success in the past, uh, signing guys and making moves and then flipping them, you know, whether you're talking about Scott F. Ross or David Robertson or Andrew Chafin or Chris Martin, they, they've had, they've done a really good job of that. And this year they signed two veterans to the bullpen, Brad Boxberger and Michael Fulmer. And in one of the most underrated moves of the season, they picked up Julian Merriweather off the scrap heap off the waiver wire, waiver wire from Toronto. But this year was different because the Cubs didn't sign, like I said, a lot of free agent arms. They were going mostly internal options. Um, one issue that would affect the Cubs bullpen throughout 2023 was the lack of left-handed bullpen arms. When the team broke for the season, Dustin, the Cubs did not have a single left-handed bullpen pitcher on the roster. But like most bullpens throughout a season, there were some positive uh, surprises and some disappointments. So um, first off, we thought we would look at the breakouts. Um, when we look at the breakouts for this year, obviously, Dustin, no one bigger than Adbert Owlsley. Nobody um, bigger. What, when we were trying to figure out who was going to close games. Adbert really wasn't in the conversation with a lot of people. I think I brought it up. I said, Hey, maybe. Um, but once he started in that role, Dustin, he just excelled. He had no save opportunities in April, two in May and two in June. But right around that time, around end of June, early July, that's when he starts to become a closer on a regular basis. And he would not give up that role for the rest of the season until he was on the IL. In July, Dustin, he converted eight of nine save opportunities. In August, he converted 10 of 11. Unfortunately, he blew a save against the Reds on September 1st. Didn't pitch for a week, pitched on September 8th and 9th versus the Diamondbacks, and then went on the IL with a forearm strain. He would appear in one more game in September against Milwaukee on the last weekend of the season on that Friday. He finished the season with a record of two and five with a 267 ERA. He had seven holds and converted 22 out of 25 save opportunities. In 64 innings, he only gave up five home runs. But when you talk about the Cubs run, it's really going to be a, a couple things. It's it's Bellinger and Talkman kind of solidifying that center first position. And it's going to be um having Merriweather, Leiter, and Alzali go seven, eight, nine, and solidifying the back end of the bullpen and winning a lot of close games. Yeah, absolutely right. And don't forget Michael Fulmer either. He needs to be put in that conversation as well. Um, yeah, we'll talk about Fulmer. I didn't have him down as a breakout as much. Um, he helped for a little bit, but as as far as the season in the whole, eh, it's okay. 
Um, Mark Leiter season got off to a rocky start. Another breakout guy. He was DFA'd by the Cubs on January 13th, but he was resigned by the team to on a minor league contract on January 30th. Leiter went one and three with the 350 ERA. He pitched 64.1 innings and struck out 77 batters. Dustin, with no lefties in the pen, Leiter was their best option as a he's a reverse split guy. Righties hit 254 against Leiter, while lefties only hit 185 off him. Like we talked about, Alzelag uh, solidifies the closer rule, and that at the same time, Leiter is being used in either setup or as a fireman during tough situations. Uh, 55.1 of the 64.1 innings he came, pitched in came in the seventh or eighth inning. Uh, Leiter's going to finish with th 33 holds to six blown saves. Unfortunately, like the rest of the Cubs, September was a particularly brutal month for Leiter. In April, Dustin, hitters average against Leiter was 179. In May, it was 167. In June, 128. Went up a little bit in July to 225. And in August, 186. But in September, hitters hit 400 off of him. His strikeouts went way down as he seems to struggle with his best pitch, the split finger fastball. Interesting to see what his role is going to be in 2024, but he was a very pleasant for a guy that was cut in January. He was, he had a, a huge breakout season this year. Right. Nobody thought much of him at that point, obviously because he was cut and brought back and they brought him back because they were probably desperate. And I guess the big question, and maybe Crowley, you'll ask this question at Cubs con to our guy, Tommy Hadovy, you know, is the split finger fastball an option for Mark Leiter in 2024? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we talked about Julian Merriweather. Uh, he got off to a rocky start in, when he was DFA'd by the Blue Jays in January. Uh, the Cubs actually put a claim on him a week later on January 17th, and he had a great season. Merriweather went 5-1 and one with a 338 ERA. He appeared in 69 games through 72 innings. He was one of the hardest throwers on the team, Dustin, with his fastball averaging 98 miles per hour. So when we talk, Dustin, about swing and miss guys, that's what this bullpen needs more of, and that's what Julian Merriweather provided. His strikeout rate was a career-high 32.3%, and 46 of the 17, 72 innings he had came in the 7th and 8th inning, and 16 of those came in the ninth, mostly in September when Alzali was down and um, Leiter was ineffective. But but Merriweather just was such a great pickup, and and he was they were able to do a lot of things with him, and that's what the Cubs hope to continue to do is find guys like Merriweather that you know it doesn't work out somewhere he comes in and he all of a sudden you know maybe makes some changes goes through the pitch lab and he was a much different pitcher than he was for the Blue Jays. Yeah, he grew on me as the year progressed. I didn't like him right off the bat, but he seemed to get better, almost like a fine wine, Crowley. He aged well over the course of the Cubs season, no doubt. Every, every month he did better. April was his worst month. And then by the time he was in September, he was just absolutely lights out. Right. Um, Javier Assad, we talked about him in the last episode when we talked about starters, and that's because he put, provided a valuable role as a swingman, starting some games and coming out of the bullpen in other games. He struggled to start the season, was back and forth to Iowa a few times, but from July to September, he was excellent. In July, batters hit 113 off Assad, August 198. And in September, when it looked like the rest of the Cubs' young pitchers looked fatigued, he still was, you know, batters only hit 259 off of him. And so I, I see him coming back in that swing role because it seemed to have absolutely no impact whether he started, whether he was in the bullpen. He was just as effective either way. And I love that about a guy, Crowley. I love a guy that you say, here, here's the ball, go on the mound, get the opposing person out. 
regardless of the time and situation in the game. You know, it's it, it, it's such a good thing to have because not everybody can do it, and it sounds goofy. Who cares if it's the eighth inning? Who cares if the ninth inning? Who cares if there's runners on? Who cares if it's clean? But it affects these guys. I wish it didn't, yep. but it does. And to have a guy Literally like Assad yep. was really, really a good get. Um, guys that struggled. Looking at all the numbers, Dustin, Michael Fulmer was one of the big free agent signings. And the reason I put Fulmer on here, he was signed to a one-year prove-it deal uh, with the Cubs on February 20th. As the so They figured that they would use Fulmer in a setup or a closer role, but that never came to fruition. Fulmer went 3-5 and five with a 442 ERA. He threw 57 innings and struck out 65 batters. He struggled out of the gate with batters hitting 289 off him in April and 306 in May. Things got better in the summer with batters hitting only 167 off him in June and 200 in July and 229 in August. But in the end of August, uh, Fulmer was put on the IL with a right forearm strain. He came back for a couple games in September before finishing the rest of the season on the IL. But for a guy that he was going to be one of those ideal flip guys, he was going to be, you know, if the season didn't go well or they were expecting him to be a closer or a setup guy. And he never really was those things. He was a really good five, six guy in the summer. Kind of one of those guys that bridge to get if the, if the starter couldn't go past five to get the ball to a Merriweather or lighter, but um, definitely not as good as we hoped he would be. Um, one guy that was always be uh, better, but he can always be better, but I got to jump in here a little bit. I mean, I just feel like I remember him in some high leverage situations after the trade deadline when he was really locking some stuff down. Right. After the trade dine, uh, you know, in, in July and August, absolutely. Uh, especially yeah. June and July were his two best months, but April, May, not good at all. And, no. um, in, in August he was okay, but, um, you know, two months of a guy, you know, coming in, in in the fifth or sixth inning. He did have some, again, high leverage roles. But if you would have told me that Fulmer would have been behind Merriweather, Alzali, and Leiter, I wouldn't have predicted that. Um, Keegan Thompson was one of David Ross's go-to guys out of the pen in 2022. He was that swingman role that we talked about with Assad. In 2022, Keegan was 10 and 5 with 376 ERA. He threw 115 innings as and was with the big club all season until he uh, finished uh, on the IL in September. But 2023 was a big step back for Keegan. His ERA in April was good, 193, but May was a disaster with an ERA of 995. He was sent to Iowa where he had spent most of the season until he was called up in late August. He only pitched four more games the rest of the season in August and September. So for a guy, remember the Cubs had a lot of injuries with Wade Davis in 2022 and uh, Drew Smiley in the first half. And it was Justin Steele and Keegan who really kind of came in. And then Keegan was more in the um, swing role after those guys got healthy. But um, just a, just a tough season for him. Another guy who had a tough season was Jeremiah Estrada. He was a young guy I was really high on. I thought this was going to be a season in 2023. He was called up in April 21st versus the Dodgers through 1.1 innings of scoreless ball, then didn't pitch again until April 29th when he pitched 1.2 innings of shutout ball. He appeared in seven games in May, and six of those were of those seven were scoreless uh, appearances. He struggled in one game against the Reds where he went point two innings and gave up two runs on three hits. But then he struggled in June. Uh, he gave up, and after he gave up two runs in one inning against the Giants, he would not pitch for the Cubs again. And that that happens, Dustin. It, it, what but was frustrating um, for for I'm sure Jeremiah is that 
he started to struggle, not just with the Cubs, but also with the I Cubs in June and July. So the Cubs sent him to the Arizona Complex League, which is a, a league where you basically, it doesn't matter what the results are. You're just working on things, not in a real, it, it's a game situation, but not like in the minor leagues. And when he came back in September, he did look better for the I Cubs. But um, like I said, I was really expecting him to kind of have a really breakout season. Um, the last two guys that were disappointing were Drew Smiley and Hayden Wesniski. We talked about them in the last episode. Both of those guys um, were in the rotation to start the season, and both of them ended up in the bullpen to end the season. And I, I don't know, Dustin, I just don't see either Smiley or Wesniski. Neither of them impressed me. It wasn't like, oh, well, look what we have here. We can use them as a weapon like this. They were okay out of the pen. I, I We'll see what happens in 2024. Um, Smiley's going to be making $10 million next year. So assume he's going to get a shot at a starter's role. But with, with Hayden, he's going to have to really work to get that role. But like I said, I just wasn't super impressed. And that's not saying that they won't be impressive next year. It just it was a, a, a step back for both of those guys this season. Well, Drew Smiley got him going in the right direction. He had a great um, April and May, and then he tailed mm -hmm. off. And Wesneski's had some moments, right? We all got kind of hyped up and West Nasty and all that kind of stuff, but uh, overall, not a great year for sure. No. And then finally, injuries. Brad Boxberger, he was the big bullpen signing. He was supposed to be a setup or closer, ineffective in April with a four ERA, worse in May with a 964 ERA. He was put on the IL May 15th with the right forearm strain. He did not come back up until September 8th. And then he went back on the IL September 23rd with that same right forearm strain. He only threw 10, 20 innings for the Cubs. That was a huge, huge disappointment and a loss. And that was just injuries, you know? Right. Um, he seems Brandon, like a guy, I, I don't even feel like we know who he is. Like, I, I don't know what, what, what he can do. We, we didn't get a big I, enough sample size. Right. I think, you know, he has a, he has um, a record that you can look at, but it just right. wasn't with the Cubs. Brandon Hughes was another Cub who had a successful 22 season and earned his spot in David Ross's circle of trust. He was two and three in 2022 with a 3.12 ERA in 57 games with eight holds and eight saves. He was injured most of spring training with knee issues. He came up April 15th, went back on the IL April 29th, up on May 12th, back on June 13th for the rest of the season. He was supposed to get season-ending knee alignment surgery, but instead elected to go under. Uh, a surgical debridement of the left knee, and that reduced his recovery time. So he did spend a little time in Iowa in September rather than the whole year being a wash. But that really hurt not having him in the bullpen with with no lefty arms when the Cubs broke camp. No, um, no doubt. Nick Birdie was an, you know, Nick Birdie was another guy I was high on to start the season. He was a second round draft pick for the Twins in 2014. Always had a live arm, throws in the upper 90s, but control issues and injuries always always held him back. He appeared in three games for the Cubs before going on the IL with appendicitis. He returned with the I Cubs in August, which is where he finished the season. And then finally, Dustin, three guys that got, you know, they weren't major players, but they're guys I think you really want to look at for next season. Daniel Palencia, the Cubs got him in 2021 as part of the Andrew Chafin deal with the A's. In 2022, he was a big part of the South Bend championship team. And then in 23, he only spent a little time with Tennessee before being promoted to Iowa. And then the Cubs called him up 4th of July weekend against the Brewers, where he was called on to pitch two innings and got the win. He went 5-3 and three with a 4.45 ERA, 28.1 innings pitch. But he's a guy that is, is really someone to keep an eye on. 
Luke Little, a.k.a. Luke Not-So-Little, stands at 6'8", 220 pounds. The young lefty, um, he's only 23. He came up in September when lighter became ineffective because they needed a lefty. He only threw 6.2 innings, but he didn't give up an earned run. So uh, a guy to definitely take a look at as an opportunity to break camp with the Cubs. And then finally, Jose Quas came into the Cubs in the Nelson Velasquez trade at the deadline. He appeared in 11 games in August and Dustin 18 games in September when the Cubs. Too much Jose Quas. Too much Jose Quas. Exactly. But the issue, the thing is he had a rubber arm and so, and he has a good pitch mix, but that wasn't what, that was not the intended goal was to watch Jose Quas 18 times in September. That was just out of necessity. I think he will benefit from the pitch lab and the Cubs believe there is a lot of unlocked potential there. Um, but in the next segment, Dustin, we, we, you know, we'll talk to Tony Andraki and he's going to give us a better idea of what the Cubs are going to do as far as building a bullpen for 2024. You are listening to the fly, the W six seventy podcast. It is season two. It's episode 84, breaking down the Cubs bullpen. And as Crowley mentioned in this segment, Crowley talks to Tony and Cubs beat writer for marquee sports network to discuss the direction. He thinks the Cubs will go to improve the bullpen next season. Joining me now on the fly, the W podcast, you recognize him from his work on marquee sports network. We have Cubs beat writer, Tony and Tony, how you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, man, I'm doing all right. Uh, hoping the World Series kind of gets back on track. That that game was a game. That game five was just a disaster. Yeah, are you uh, are you pulling for the Diamondbacks then? Um, no, I'm just I, I just like competitive baseball. To be honest Perfect. with you, I I, I keep joking. I want to go to Opening Day in Texas. So if the Rangers win, you know the prices are going to be way jacked for the for the pennant raising and all that stuff and the ring ceremony. So. I could I could go with Arizona, but I don't care either way as long as it's just a fun series, you know. No, for sure, and I think I do think there is some element of like the Diamondbacks are essentially the team that eliminated the Cubs, right? Like they got the final playoff spot, and they're the reason the Cubs weren't in the playoffs. If they go on to win the World Series, I think there's there's a little bit of that. Like we just talked to Jamison Tyone the other day about it. You know, he was in studio and on the podcast, and he was like, it was a good a good reminder of like we we're, we're this close, we're like so. Uh, so close to being one of the teams in. And it's also a good reminder you get into the tournament and like you could be the last wildcard team and you could ride it all the way to the World Series if you if everything clicks, if you get hot. And I think that is a really good reminder for the Cubs. Like this is a good takeaway kind of postseason for how close they might be. Yeah, and, and, and one of the things that kind of hurt them at the end is the bullpen, which is, you know, you just had an article, you've been doing your own state of the Cubs where you kind of, you know, been addressing different um, positions on the team. And, and, you know, we were talking in the first segment of the podcast about the bullpen. And, and for me, I just felt like this was kind of an, you know, in the last few years, they've done like a lot of like sign and flips, you know what I mean? Whether you're talking about David Robinson or whether you're talking about Scott F Ross or, you know, a lot of these guys that they had, um, you know, that they would then turn around and flip and get good prospects for. And this year, you know, I think that they, they went for, what was it? They went for a couple of guys with Boxberger and Michael Fulmer, and they didn't really seem to pan out too well this year. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, I think Fulmer, obviously, like for a good stretch there, he was a big part of the bullpen. He was the he would occasionally I think there was like one or two times he came in in like the second or third inning, but he was like the fifth or sixth inning, like gap 
Bridger kind of guy that he would he would get the ball to Julian Merriweather or Mark Leiter Jr., who then would set up for Edward Alzali. And I think when the bullpen was rolling, that when the Cubs were rolling at their best, it was when Fulmer was healthy, when David Ross had multiple options. Maybe if a guy was down, then Fulmer was available in the seventh inning. So I think when just having all of those options was a huge component of it all. And then when he was hurt down the stretch with a forearm injury, that really impacted the team. Now he's going to miss the 2024 season to address the same issue. And at the start of the year, too, I mean, Fulmer was the first guy who got the closing opportunity, looked pretty good for a couple of outings, then faced the Dodgers and really struggled, right? Like he struggled against the Dodgers multiple times. And uh, I think it was Houston where he gave up, you know, a, not really a cheap homer, but like the Crawford boxes and stuff there yep. is an aspect of it. He seemed like he was unlucky. He definitely struggled for a bit at the start there. So, you know, it, it worked out in some sense. It didn't in others. Obviously, him being unavailable down the stretch was, I think, one of the biggest things you can point to as to why the bullpen faded. Brad Boxberger, yeah, I mean, it, he never really got going. Like, veteran who has a ton of experience closing, pitching in uh, in high leverage moments, and he was just hurt. He missed four months with a forearm injury, came back for a few outings, and then went right back in the aisle with a forearm injury again. So, I, I don't know what to expect. I think there's like a $5 million mutual option for the Cubs with Boxberger. I don't see the team taking that for a guy who is coming off a tough year in his mid thirties. Now, I, you know, 5 million is kind of a big price to pay. So I, I don't anticipate either of them pitching for the Cubs again. Like we said, Fulmer's already hurt, but yeah, Boxberger, it, it didn't quite work out. The Merriweather signing though, or like the claiming on waivers in January, that worked out really, really well for the team. Like a very underrated move. That ended up paying huge dividends, I think, for this bullpen. Yeah, and he was really that last guy standing in September other than a bunch of kids. You know, yeah. he was with all the injuries that piled up. Merriweather really kind of saved this team, like you said, and kept him in it till the end. Um, you know, Adbert Alzali was someone that I even talked about at the beginning of last season, saying, like, this is a guy that could have closer potential. You know, I think the thing about him has always been, you know, how lefties hit him, but you're not facing that many lefties in the ninth inning. You know what I mean? And, and, and you can, you're giving it a little bit more gas. You have more energy because you don't have to conserve anything. I thought when, when Alzali, like, you know, was closing, it just really looked like he really looked great. The question has always been to me about Alzali. It's never been about the stuff, but can he stay healthy for a 162 game season? Yeah, I, I think that's a very valid question. And all of last season, meaning 2022, he missed almost the entire year with a lat injury, which the same thing happened in 2018. So uh, yeah, he, has to prove that he can stay healthy all year. He has to prove that he can get lefties out on a consistent basis. As you mentioned, he succeeded in that in 2023 and uh, down the, you know, up until the last, what, two, three weeks of the season, he was healthy as well. Uh, so he was a big factor. And I think one of the best stories of the team and certainly of the bullpen was like you said, him claiming that closers role, really earning it and going from there. I think some of the most excitement surrounding the team this year was like when he would close and he would get, just so jacked up that his, I mean, I thought he might get hurt with some of those like fist pumps that he would do at the end of the games or the way he would <laughs> high five guys and celebrate. So it ultimately ended up being a forearm injury. I, I do think there's something to the fact with like him or lighter guys who have been starters for most of their career and have never really gone full wire to wire as relievers, as guys who are maybe pitching three days in a row or pitching three or four times in a week or having 60 plus appearances in a season. Like they're not used to that. So I think that does explain a little bit of the, their particular, their individual fades on the stretch. I think the Cubs will be better for that. And those guys will be better for that in 24. But yeah, I mean, you know, Alzala emerging as a closer, I think is a huge question answered uh, going into next season as they build the bullpen. 
Now, Mark Leiter, you know, was an interesting one where, you know, he pitched, like you said, this is the first time he's doing it, but it seemed like something happened with that split finger. And if you look at his numbers in September, the K rate and all that stuff, it looked like, you know, I don't know if it was just exhaustion or what, but it, it seemed like he didn't want to throw his best pitch, you know, and, and I thought like for sure that maybe they would announce an injury of some type after the season, but I, I've heard nothing, you know, what, do you think it was just, you know, fatigue or, or what was happening with him? I, yeah, I don't know for sure. My guess would be that it, it is some element of fatigue or some something wasn't right physically that made it difficult for him to to throw that pitch to operate at his best. Uh, there were two different stretches. Remember, late August, early September, went in Cincinnati. He didn't pitch because I think David Ross used the term like barking things on barking for lighter. So he was down for like almost a week there. And then there was like an eight day stretch before Atlanta where lighter didn't pitch either. You know, the whole homestand prior to that, I think Merriweather worked like three days in a row and lighter wasn't out there. So uh, yeah, you know, between like two stretches, two week long stretches in the final month plus of the season certainly indicates like he was struggling with something physically. And um you know, he did not go on the IL like Fulmer, like Alzelay or whatever, like these other guys did. But to be unavailable for almost two weeks in that stretch certainly hurt the, the bullpen, especially because it's not like they had another roster spot there. So I don't know. I mean, I would kind of point to all of September and really the last few weeks of lighter of just fading down the stretch of dealing with whatever it was physically that he was dealing with. I, I'm not, not to say that like he guaranteed will be as good as he was April through August next season. But I think the the better bet would be that longer sample size of like he was really good pitcher, led the team in holds. I think he had like 28 holds, you know, was good against lefties and righties. I, I think the Cubs have found something there in a high leverage arm that they can use moving forward. And it you can't necessarily throw it all out. But like I do think that the, the fading down the stretch was just a physical aspect of it all that he's just not used to this. Remember, too, like this guy missed several years or a year plus coming off of Tommy John surgery. Like when the Cubs signed him last year and when he was coming back in 2022 to be first in the rotation and then the bullpen, that was him coming back off of injury after missing several seasons with it. So it, it's a guy that like he has to get healthy and, and pitch wire to wire. He did that to some extent in 23. I anticipate it'll probably take a little bit more of a step forward at that in 2024. Now, someone that came out of the pen at the end of the season that didn't start there was Drew Smiley. The Cubs are going to pay him $10.5 million for 2024. Now, do you think that he is going to have a chance in spring training to compete for a starter's role, or do you think they're going to want to use him um, just as out of the bullpen as a lefty option? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. I I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's $10.5 million to spend on a guy who's ultimately going to be a middle reliever is a lot of money. Like, he'd be paying they'd be paying him more than their closer and their top two setup guys or maybe even top three or four setup guys combined so that seems unlikely it seems most likely that they will probably let him have an opportunity to try to win a rotation spot out of spring training maybe that means like somebody like jordan wicks will start the year in the minor leagues which isn't a crazy thought right like he pitched pretty well uh but still a rookie still has some some learning curve didn't even face you know pitch a whole season in triple a so maybe it's something like that Maybe they try to move him this offseason. I don't know for sure. But, yeah, $10.5 million is certainly a lot to be paying a guy who, while he looked good out of the bullpen, is still um, not pitching in the highest leverage situations there. So, and, and the Cubs also, I think they have a better opportunity to go out and get lefties. Luke Little is an interesting option. Brandon Hughes should be fully healthy. Like, they don't necessarily need a lefty to start the 2024 bullpen. So, I, I think he'll probably be a rotation guy. 
and then maybe we'll see what happens from there. Um, obviously, he was great to start the year, and then he really hit a, a tough patch in the rotation. So if that happens again, they know they can move him to the bullpen, or maybe they just move on from him. I don't know. Yeah, and and one guy that to me took a really big step backward was Keegan Thompson, and you know it seemed like you know you 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 brought up a little bit too, um, a Brandon Hughes. But Brandon Hughes and, and Keegan Thompson were two guys I thought that Ross really kind of relied on in 2022. And obviously we talked, you know, Brandon had the hit, you know, the injuries that were going on. And but Keegan, is there any just simple solution or just maybe a regression? What do you, what do you see with Keegan Thompson? Yeah, no, that's a really good one too. And a really interesting aspect. Cause going into the season, I thought he was going to be a huge component of this Cubs bullpen because he was in 2022, like you mentioned. He also was in 2021. And like when he was at his best, it was he was pitching multiple innings and then he would be down for a few days. And the Cubs just ultimately realized that that wasn't the best path to success for this team. They couldn't have a guy pitch, even though he was really good and really dominant, have him pitch and then be down and unavailable for two or three days. Like that's not that's not easy to do. And when they already had Javier Assad, who was filling, you know, the long role in a lot of ways, and you have Keegan Thompson doing that, it's just difficult. Like you, you run yourself with only eight pitchers down in the bullpen with starters, not going long, especially early in seasons, you need guys who are available. And you look at Keegan Thompson's numbers on one on zero, one or two days rest. They're not great. It's like three or more days rest. He's dominant, but he just wasn't rebounding, wasn't recovering. I don't know if there was something physically like he had a back injury that kept him out about a month in the minors this year. I don't know if that was an impact. I know there was velocity concerns about him way back in spring training. If you remember that too, mm -hmm. and you know, he came out and looked pretty good his first few outings, but control was an issue. The ability to bounce back was an issue. I still think he's a part of the future. I just don't know exactly what role he'll fill. Maybe they will just have to use him as an every three days and he'll go two to four innings in, in that aspect. I don't know, but um, I do know, I, I don't think the Cubs are giving up on him. I do think it was really telling how his 2023 season went when it was like mid September, they called him up and he went like eight or nine days on the big league roster, never even pitched. And then was optioned right back to AAA again. So like that tells you everything you need to know about their trust in him in the 2023 season specifically. So he's got a lot that he would need to work on for sure. Recovery control, it, it needs to be a rebound season in 2024 for him, or we just may not see Keegan Thompson in the bullpen moving forward. I'm not sure. Now, one guy that I think, you know, Cub fans are going to maybe unfairly not be happy with, but really wasn't his fault was Jose Quas, who, you know, was, was involved in the uh, Nelson Velasquez trade. Mm -hmm. But basically like, I don't think that that was his intended role was basically to pitch every day in September. And they, they, they threw that poor kid in there and it was just like, all right, good, good luck. This is all we got. What, you know, as far as Quas is concerned, though, he to me, he's really interesting. But, uh, you know, I'm just wondering if maybe he starts in the minors and, and maybe gets polished a little bit more and then comes up later on in the season or, you know, see how he does in spring training. But he's one – I think he's a lot better than what Cub fans are going to give him credit for just because when they saw him, it was frustrating because he was always giving up runs, but it really wasn't his fault. Well, yeah, I mean, his numbers were pretty good. Like, you know, he had an ERA, like, just over three with the Cubs. He was pitching a ton, like – he was a he was definitely a huge huge factor in the bullpen as all these other guys that we talked about got injured. So yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe what you said starting the year in the minor leagues, there could definitely be some sense to that. Um, I think he's pretty polished overall. I think the the one thing with him is figuring out his pitch mix and just he has such a weird arm slot. Um, obviously, you just don't see it a ton. It, it's not quite what Scott Efros's arm slot was. 
but he he was a little bit better against lefties this past season because 2022 he was really dynamic against righties so it's like figuring out what side he's best at what pockets he's best at he obviously had a rubber arm i mean he he was uh I think he was close to like top 10 in the majors and appearances this, this past season. Uh, so that was really big. I do think his role will ultimately be decided on what the rest of the, the offseason looks like for the Cubs. Like I think because of the way the bullpen faded down the stretch, because of the lack of options that were like in David Ross's circle of trust, I think they're going to get multiple veteran guys who can pitch in high, high leverage spots. Like I think last year they approached it as a whole, Jed Hoyer, Carter Hawkins, like they they wanted all the they wanted to build a bullpen internally. They wanted these young guys to come up. Apart from Palencia and Luke Little, who had their ups and downs as well, there were no guys who came up through the system. And you saw, as we already talked about, Brandon Hughes, Keegan Thompson have regression. Brad Boxberger was hurt. Julian Merriweather was great. Michael Fulmer was hurt and had had some other issues as well. Like they they just need more guys. They need more depth. They can't count on on guys coming up through the system. Cause it doesn't even look like there's a bunch of guys that are knocking on the door right now. Anyways, like Cam Sanders, Kane Ackers, some of these other guys who had uh, pitched really well and showed promise in spring training or in the minors in the past control issues are a real thing. So, you know, I don't know exactly like who's coming up through the system. So I think that they're going to try to probably get some of those by low guys that you talked about at the beginning, you know, guys like David Robertson, guys like Chris Martin, guys like Ryan Tapera, finding some of those guys, building a bullpen that way. And if they get a bunch of those guys and hit on them and look pretty good in spring training, then yeah, maybe Quas is a guy that starts in the minor leagues. Maybe Luke Little is a guy that starts in the minor leagues, whatever it may be. And if that doesn't work out, then maybe we'll see some of these guys on the big league, um, in the big league bullpen. And honestly, Palencia probably falls in the same boat. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Palencia starts in the big league bullpen or starts in AAA Iowa in the bullpen there. Now, I know that the Cubs have just come back from uh, a scouting trip in Japan, uh, you know, and, and Yamamoto's the big name there. But there's also some bullpen arms in Japan that could potentially, uh, you know, if the Cubs are wanting to spend money. But I guess to me, that's just a big question is, do they want to spend money on bullpen or do they think they could piece it together like they did in the past? I think ultimately they, they think they can piece it together like they did in the past. And Jed said as much uh, last offseason at the winter meetings, I think it was, you know, he said he really likes when bullpen is um, they're like being ahead of the bullpen market. And he pointed to like Andrew Chafin and Chris Martin as examples like these guys after they left the Cubs ended up getting bigger deals, multi-year deals. The Cubs prefer to prefer to shop and just because bullpen relievers are so volatile, they prefer to get guys on lesser deals like the Brad Boxberger for like 3 million, Michael Fulmer's 4 million one year. Like these things make a lot of sense for the team. So I imagine that they'll be, they'll be doing more of that. And, and honestly, and when I say more as like continuing along, but also more than just the two guys that they signed last year, like I wouldn't be surprised if they signed three or four guys or have more waiver claims like Julian Merriweather or more minor league signings coming into camp, like Tyler Duffy was stuff like that. I just think they're going to add more proven guys in the bullpen at some point over this offseason. Now, you know, just to move real quickly away from the bullpen, um, this is some breaking news that happened in the last hour, hour and a half, is that uh, sources are reporting that John Maley is going to be back with the major league staff. Um, tomorrow is the anniversary of the Cubs World Series. 2016, John Maley was the hitting coach. Uh, under his tutelage, I mean, the Cubs made the NLCS three years in a row, 15, 16, 17, and then I think they let him go and they got Chili Davis, and that was a disaster. Uh, what do you think about Maley coming back, and, and what do you think he's going to bring to this team? Yeah, I think it's really interesting for sure. I don't know exactly what role he's going to fill or how that's going to 
play out. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the athletic reporting that is, is definitely a very interesting wrinkle of this off season. I think Maley's just held in high regard around baseball, but also within the Cubs organization, you just spelled it out really nicely. Like the rapport and relationship he had with those players, I think was really key. Now, obviously almost none of those players are still around, right? Like, you know, I am sure he knows Ian Happ a little bit and stuff like that. But other than that, like from the, from the world series team, there's nobody obviously have came up in 2017 then, but um you know, so I, I don't know. I don't know exactly like what role he's going to fill. Uh, I don't know quite like how the Cubs envision this moving forward. I do know that he's somebody that they value and serving, you know, in the minor leagues as a, as a hitting instructor as well. Like, I, I think they just, they trust him. They trust um, having another trusted voice on the coaching staff is certainly a help too. And then rapport with David Ross is key. Like, you know, being on the world series team together, him as a coach, Ross as a player, I think is really important. So just adding like more good, valuable voices in there i think can certainly help and to be honest though i don't think the cubs want to do want to shake the system up too much from hitting like they probably exceeded almost everybody's expectations as an offensive group in 2023 they need to figure something out whether it's bringing bellinger back or signing Shohei or whatever else they need to do more this offseason to, to try to get bellinger's production or more in return but like overall, they're not trying to like reinvent the wheel. And I think Bailey's just a guy that's going to kind of fit in seamlessly with like the offensive production. 100%. And people have to remember that Maley was Shohei's hitting coach in Anaheim. So you got that. And then you also have a lot of guys, I think, that are like on that bubble that already know, uh, John, whether you're talking about PCA or whether you're talking about, you know, Canario any, or yeah. yeah, Canario, any one of those guys that that he worked with, I think that'll kind of help with maybe the transition as well. No, that's a good point for sure. I think, yeah, the the rapport with the guys coming up through the system this past season, absolutely. I think that helps. And um it's just it never hurts to have another valuable guy like that. Like we've seen Mike Napoli grow as a coach the last few years too, and he had such a strong playing career. And you know, when he first joined as a coach, like it was a little bit unidentified maybe of like exactly how he would impact the team. And now he's been a huge impact on them. Um, so yeah, I think Maley will be kind of the same thing, like bringing another valued voice on this coaching staff. Well, you know, Tony, I appreciate you jumping on here. Where can our listeners find your work, website, socials, podcast, give it, give us the whole round table here. Yeah. So I did the marquee sports network app, uh, follow us on the Cubs weekly podcast or marquee sports network.com. And then on Twitter at Tony and 23. Tony, thank you so much for jumping on, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. All right, sounds good. Thank you. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It is episode 84 of season number two. We are breaking down the Cubs bullpen. And, Crowley, we want to remind everybody to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. And right now – we have to uh, talk about a champion. We are going to recap the World Series. The last game of baseball for this season was played last night. Let's get into a couple of uh, items on that and some news and notes to share with everybody. Yeah. Um, first of all, season's over, like you said, and it's award season now. Congrats to Seiya Suzuki, Dansby Swanson, and Cody Bellinger were all named Silver Slugger finalists. Um, we will find out uh, on the 7th who will be the winner for, or no, the 7th, I think is Golden Gloves. I think Silver Slugger is a little later. But um, definitely, you know, Sunday the 5th is Gold Gloves, uh, the Gold Gloves Award. And then later on the 9th is Silver Slugger. So the 9th is when we will find out if Seiya, Dansby, and 
Cody Bellinger will win. I got to I hope Cody Bellinger does, but we'll see what happens. Um, so that's exciting. What is really exciting for me is Patrick Mooney and Sahad of Sharma on Wednesday report that former Cubs hitting coach John Maley coming back to the Cubs staff in 2024. We don't know what his role will be yet, but he, Dustin, I know, I know John very well. I've been to his coaching clinics. He is one of the most respected hitting coaches in the game. He was the Cubs hitting coach in 2015, 2016, 2017. Dustin, those were some pretty good years. Um, the Cubs went to three straight NLCS championships and won the World Series. After the 2017 World Series, they let go of Maley, Chris Bosio, the pitching coach, and Gary Jones, who worked on defense and infield. And I thought that was a huge mistake that greatly impacted the development of the Cubs' young hitters. After Maley was gone, they went through a series of hitting coaches. It was like spinal, spinal tap drummers. Chili Davis was a disaster in 2018. You had Anthony Iapochi coming in from 2019 to 2021. Greg Brown for one year in 2022. And Dustin Kelly uh, took over in 2023. So if you're a guy like Ian Happ, you've had one, two, three, four, five different hitting coaches. I mean, not great. Yeah, that's, a um, lot of, that's a lot of revolving door on that position. Correct. And remember that Maley was David Ross's hitting coach in 2015 and 16. After getting dismissed from the Cubs, he was the hitting coach for the Phillies. And a lot of those young Philly players learned under John Maley. And then he went to Anaheim where he got to coach Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Um, after Mann was let go midseason, Maley was let go so new manager Phil Nevin could make his own hire. And then Maley became the hitting coach last year for the Iowa Cubs. We went and we visited with him and talked to him about the players. And he did a great job with PCA, Matt Mervis, Alexander Canario, and a lot of other players in Iowa. So I think, Dustin, this is going to be a really good move because of all those young players that are going to be there. They're going to have someone there, a voice that they recognize, and a very respected hitting coach for some of the older guys as well. What am I missing, Crowley? What what happened? Why did he and the Cubs break up, and now he's back with the Cubs? What what happened there? Any idea? Any I, that's that, that's that a, I think I think I don't I don't want to say anything that I, I don't one hundred percent know. I would just say that there's a lot of questions, and I don't think we'll ever know the answers. And if there's a book or a movie that comes out, uh, you know, a tell all one day about this twenty sixteen Cubs team, that needs to be a chapter. I want to know as much as you do. Um, right. But there's a lot of Some people news that on the. Some news on the bench coach. Yep. Andy Green. We talked about it last time. He interviewed for the Mets this week. He also interviewed for the Guardians job. So he's looking at things. Um, and then, Dustin, you talked about the World Series, you know, seven years ago today. That was one of the most high rate, highest rated World Series. Oh, and, yeah. Dustin, the World Series have gone down every year since. And this was a disaster in 2023. We kind of knew it would be, but God, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't think it was that bad of a world series. How about you? Um, I watched more than I thought I would, to be honest. Last night I watched every pitch of it and um, it was a really compelling, intriguing game. Um, but I think it's even harder and harder to measure the ratings and than ever before, because everybody watches it or takes it in on a different device or goes out to a bar or is over at a buddy's house or is listening on an app. And I just wonder if there's really a true measurement to how many people are watching the game because they had record crowds at games this year. So that seemed like yeah. there was a new love affair with baseball. And part of that is because of the uh, game, 
being sped up with the uh, pitch clock, right? That is part of it, whether we like that or not, but that was definitely part of it. And again, market size, right? I mean, Texas and Arizona, smaller markets, not huge populations. So that's also a factor. But at the end of the day, all that matters is, was it good baseball? Did we enjoy what we saw? And, you know, to me, it's like, okay, what can the Cubs learn from the Rangers who lost over 100 games just two years ago, and now we're going to get sized for new rings? Right. Well, when we take a look, when we last left off, Dustin, it was a 1-1 split between the two teams <laughs> now heading to errors. Now heading to like Arizona. A million years ago now. <laughs> right. And so game three saw D-backs 2001 heroes, Randy Johnson, throw the first pitch to Luis Gonzalez. I thought that was cool. You remember uh, Luis Gonzalez had the game winning hit for Arizona in game seven in 2001 against the Yankees. Max Scherzer versus Brandon Fott was the first pitching matchup. As Pat Hughes likes to say, sometimes turning point moments can come early in games. In the bottom of the second, Christian Walker doubled to lead off the inning for the Diamondbacks. The next batter, Tommy Pham, singles. Walker sees the third base coach halfway between second and third wave in his arms, but then just puts his head down and runs through a stop sign, and he is thrown out at home easily on a laser by Adolis Garcia. Pham reaches second on the throw, so runner in second at one out, but the Diamondbacks couldn't get him in. And then right back, right after that inning, the Rangers make the snakes pay. Nathaniel Lowe hit a leadoff double. Jung would strike out, but Lodi Tavares would ground out to advance Lowe to third. And with two outs, Marcus Simeon, Dustin, who had been MIA for most of the postseason, hit a clutch two-out RBI single to put the Rangers up one nothing. And then Corey Seager hits a monster two-run blast to right field to put Texas up 3 nothing. And then in the bottom of the third, Max Scherzer gets out of the inning, but Dustin he pulls something in his back and does not come out in the fourth. John Gray would come out of the pen and pitch three innings, giving up only one hit, no walks and three K's. Brandon Fott went 5.1 innings, gave up four hits. Unfortunately, three of those were in the third. And then in the top of the eighth with two outs, another big injury for the Rangers. Adolis Garcia flies out to center, but he feels something in his oblique. He is pulled from the game. The Rangers won game three, three to one, but they lost their ALCS MVP in Adolis Garcia and Max Scherzer for the rest of the series. So, you know, you're wondering, you know, Garcia was kind of one of the, the lifebloods of that team. One of the, one of the, you know, the drinksters, you know, the ALCS MVP. I think a lot of people were curious how the Rangers would come out in game four and game four to me. Boy, did they come out and boy, did they come out. Yeah, they did, but that was just an awful game. That was uh, Andrew Heaney took the bump for the Rangers for Arizona at, or for the Rangers, but Arizona decides they're going to go for a bullpen game with Joe Mantiply being the opener. He went one in a third inning. He left with one on and one out, and that's when the Rangers blew it open. A wild pitch by Miguel Castro scored the first run and a few bat, uh, batters later, Marcus Simeon heating up. He hits a two-run triple to make it three nothing. And then Corey Seager, why would you throw this guy a pitch? Don't let him beat you. Two-run homer, and the Rangers were up 5-0 in the second. Then in the third, the Rangers loaded the bases for Travis Janikowski, who's only in the game because of the injury to Adolis Garcia. He hits a two-run double to make it 7-0. And then Marcus Simeon would hit his first home run of the postseason. He is now on fire. And Texas put up another five spot. Dustin, this game was over after three innings. The Rangers became the first team in MLB postseason history to score five plus runs with two outs in consecutive innings. 
They became the first team with 14 straight games with a home run in the postseason. Arizona got on the board on a Loris Gurriel sack fly in the fourth, but in the top of the eighth, Jonah Heim answered with a solo home run to make it 11 to one. The D-backs would add four in the bottom of the eighth on a Tommy Pham uh, sack fly and a three-run homer by Lourdes Gurriel. In the ninth, the Snakes would add two more runs, and Bruce Bochy had to go to closer Jose Leclerc to finish the game, which he did, and the Rangers won game four, 11-7. But I got to say, uh, Dustin, Bochy pulling his uh, closer, to, or having to put his closer into what looked like a blowout game reminded me of the Cubs and uh, Indians in game six when they had a 7-2 lead, and, and Madden went and grabbed Ch- Chapman to close it out, how nervous he was. Well, he had a, well, that, a little different, though, because the Cubs had to win that game, right? They had to win that game, and they were going to be eliminated from the World Series. A little bit different. Absolutely. So, but it, 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 I, Absolutely. I understand why it reminded you of it, but a little bit different. There was no tomorrow little. for the Cubs in that situation. Yep. And, and so as we sit here, Dustin, I thought, like I said, the series was good, but I'm sorry. You can't go with a bullpen game in a world series. The world series, right. That drives me nuts. That, that, that was a shame. So do you think that that was blame baseball a little bit? Like, should they not play three days in a row? Should there be a day off? I, I, you know what? I, I don't have a problem with it. It just, it just stinks. And, and it was 13 pitchers in the game. Nobody wants to see a bullpen game in a World Series, much less in a regular season game. Um, and you know, it's and, ten and, to nothing. Everybody's tuning out. The other thing is, once it's ten to nothing after three innings, Crowley, I, I, show of hands, I, I tuned out. I, I, tuned I left out. the game. <laughs> I left the game. Right? I, I, I went guys, back and forth. Here's two guys that love baseball. I tuned out. Right. Yeah. What wasn't a good game, and so. Last game in Arizona, Arizona Diamondbacks, winner go home, down three games to one. They have their Cy Young candidate, Zach Allen, on the mound to take on Nate Valdi and his phenomenal postseason record. And this is what fans are looking for, right? Evaldi versus right. Gallon. That, that's what you look for, right? Great matchup. And Gallon did not disappoint. He was perfect through four. He gave up a two-out walk in the fifth. And the Rangers didn't get a hit until the seventh inning on a Corey Seager single. Nate Evaldi, on the other hand, was in and out of trouble all night long. He went six innings, gave up four hits, and walked five batters. But the D-backs couldn't get a hit when it mattered, Dustin. They were 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position. They left 11 men on base, two on in the reminding first. reminding me of the Cubs, the... Crowley. They were reminding <laughs> me of the Cubs with that runners in scoring position stat. Awful. Two on in the first, one in the second, two in the third, one in the fourth. They left the bases loaded in the fifth. The only inning Evaldi did not allow a base runner was in the sixth, his final inning of work. And so Gallen is cruising, but he's got no run support. His no-hit bid, bid ends in the seventh with the leadoff single to Corey Seager. He gets to third on a double by Evan Carter and scores on a Mitch Garver single to make it one nothing Rangers. That was the score going into the ninth inning, Dustin. And the D-backs had to keep it close. They were, you know, we call them the comebacks. That is what people were calling them instead of the D-backs. They got their, you know, free big uh, trade piece in Paul Seawall, the trade they made to get the closer. He needs to keep it a one-run game. But in the ninth, the snakes unraveled. And with a chance for one more comeback, Seawall allowed the first two runners to reach on singles. Then Jonah Heim is going to hit a single to Alec Thomas. He wants to make sure to, to throw it to home. But the ball goes under his glove, goes all the way to the wall, two-run score, and Texas now leads 3-0. He would get the next two outs, 
But then Marcus Simeon, we talked about him he, he heating up the last couple games. And that's what you need when a guy like Adolis Garcia goes down as someone to step up. And what a time for Simeon he to break his slump. Time. He hits a two-run blast with two outs. And that gives the Rangers a 5 nothing lead. They win the World Series in five games. Dustin, they did not lose a road game. 11-0 and on the road in the postseason. Crazy, crazy stat. Uh, Corey Seager named the MVP, and I had a little bit of pushback on that. I thought Marcus Simeon should have definitely been in the equation, especially as we just recapped those last three wins. Marcus Simeon heavily involved in all three of those. And what does he do? He bats in front of Corey Seager. So now Simeon's on base. You can't, you have to pitch to Seager, right? You have to pitch to Seager because Simeon's on base the half the time. So anyway, you know, now that the World Series is over, though, Crowley, okay, there is a whole bunch of dates. And this is something as Cub fans, we really got to get into. These dates are really, really enticing. They get me going yes. and get me thinking about baseball. Do not stop listening to Fly the W podcast. Keep listening because no, there's a no, lot no, no, of no. things coming up right now. Tell your friends to listen, subscribe, and leave those five-star reviews. November 2nd, that is today, Dustin. Eligible, eligible players become free agents. There is a five-day window in which teams have the exclusive right to negotiate with their own free agents, but it is very rare for a deal to happen in that window. What does that mean for the Cubs? In five days, Jaime Candelario and Michael Fulmer are no longer Cubs. They are free to test the market. Um, so, Dustin, you know, we talked about Candelario. I'm Again, you're not going to sign unless the Cubs really blow them away, which I doubt it. You want to see what the market's going to offer you. That's why people usually don't do in that five-day window unless it's something like an Adam Wainwright or something like that, you know, um, where, where it's like a last type of year or something. So I don't see it happening. Um, it's also this five-day window where teams and players have five days to decide on contractual options. For the Cubs, that includes the mutual options on Cody Bellinger and Brad Boxberger. Marcus Stroman has a choice on his $20 million player option, and the Cubs have club options for Kyle Hendricks and Jan Gomes. The last thing we need to look at is that there are, in five more days, there are no more free spaces on the 40-man roster. So you can have somebody on the 40-man roster, but you put them on the 60-day IL and someone can take their place. So right now the Cubs have like 46, 47 guys on that roster, okay? And so Nick Birdie, Cody Hoyer, uh, Brad Hughes, Ethan Roberts, Nick Madrigal, they all have to come off the 60-day IL and then the Cubs are, only, again, you have to make sure now all those players, like I said, comes up to 46, 47. All of those players are going to, you're going to have to cut some guys. You're going to have to let some guys go. Some of it's going to be because of, you know, mutual options. Like you're not going to have Brad Boxberger back. You know what I mean? Um, but, and Cody Bellinger is going to opt out. We all know that it's going to be a little while before a decision's made, but we're going to have to keep an eye on that. And that's why you want to be listening to the Fly the W podcast. Absolutely right. Well, Crowley, that's a wrap. Don't forget to download, listen, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Follow us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and of course on Twitter, flythew670 at gmail.com is where you can email Crowley and I. And now you can watch us on YouTube by subscribing to the 670 The Score YouTube channel. Crowley, enjoy the weekend and we'll get back together early next week. We're going to talk about the anniversary and where we were and how we consumed the Cubs championship parade. And we will have a lot of info on the Cubs and their decisions that they make and the players make and the roster. So 
Let's keep watching, keep listening, tuning in, and go Cubs! It's all over.